Good afternoon, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great. Happy Memorial Day. Hope you guys are able to uh, just enjoy with your family and your friends, your loved ones. Uh, so as I begin today's message, um, Pastor Dave is away on a much-needed rest uh, with, with his wife and his family, and so please keep praying for them. They'll be back next week. So I want to begin by asking you guys a question. Was there ever a time that someone came seeking after you? Was there ever a time that someone pursued you? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the police or the IRS. That's a, that could be a very scary thing. I'm talking about in a, in a, in a good way, in a positive way. Uh, has someone ever come seeking after you? Now, you know, I think at least when I was growing up, it would often be the men uh, that would seek after the girls. It would really be women seeking after the men. But I know that's kind of changing now. But think about it. Someone came seeking after you. And if there is, you know, how did that make you feel? How did it make you feel when someone was seeking after you? Uh, just before my summer break of eighth grade, uh, just before it was about to start, about a weekend, my parents told me, we're sending you off to Weight Watchers camp this summer. Uh, when I was younger, I was chunky. I'm an adult, I'm chunky now, but, you know, and so I was really upset because it's eighth grade, going into ninth grade, it's like the summer where you want to hang out with your friends and really get ready for the new school I was going to. But they said, you're going to Weight Watchers camp. And I was so angry, just fretting the whole time. And they purchased this big trunk. And they put my clothes in there. And then on the day, we came into the city and the Port Authority, and there was this large charter bus. And I remember I put on my glass sunglasses and I had the Walkman. I don't know if you've ever seen those with the cassette tapes. They're like a brick. You could actually hurt somebody with those. I put my headphones on with the foam padded ear, ear, earbuds, whatever, headphones. I walked onto the bus and I could see my parents standing outside waving at me, but I would not even look at them. I was just so upset, like, you destroyed my summer. And I went to the back of the bus and I just sat there. I didn't want to talk to anybody, blasting my music. So the bus is taking off and maybe about 45 minutes into the, the drive down to Pennsylvania, all of a sudden the guy who was sitting in front of me taps me on my shoulder. So I look up and he gives me a, a piece of paper. And so I opened the paper, and on the paper, and I'm not, I kid you not, this is what it said, you are the cutest guy I've ever seen. So I looked at the guy, and I was like, what, no, what? And the guy was like, no, no, not me. And he points to a couple of rows ahead, and there's this girl looking over the chair at me like this. So I go, hmm. So I kind of get up, I walk down the aisle, and I tell the girl, I say, hey, scooch over. So she scoots over, and I sit down next to her, and I say, hey, you're not so bad yourself. And so we just start talking, and we're laughing, and... It's so interesting because when I got on that bus, I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I was just so despising life in that sense. But because somebody came seeking for me, it changed the whole thing. My whole attitude, my whole outlook. In fact, I was looking forward to what this Weight Watchers camp had entailed. I lost a lot of weight, by the way, I did. But I gained it back, as you can see. What I want to encourage you today is there is someone who seeks after you. He seeks after you every single day, every single moment of your life. And I hope that as we look in today's scripture, that as you understand this, it will cause you to respond with great rejoicing. As you understand this, it will cause you to respond in such a way that your life becomes transformed. And this is what I hope you will discover today as we look into God's Word. So turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. I'm sure many of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this, especially if you were you know, in children's ministry, you've heard this story. So Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. I'll give you a moment to turn to it. 
He, this is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, meaning he was a midget, he was a dwarf, a little person. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowds, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of God to us today. Please take a moment to look at that yourself. So let me give you a background to where we are. Jesus is in his final weeks before he's going to Jerusalem, where he's going to be betrayed, handed over to the authorities. He's going to be beaten, and he's going to be crucified. And in his final weeks, he could go any way he can, but he decides to go to Jericho because he is the faithful son following the mission of the father. And as he's going into Jericho, there's actually a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. You read this in Luke 18. And he's blind, but he begins to see that, uh, or hear, perceive that there's a crowd that's coming towards Jericho. And he's like wondering, what's going on? And people start saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. So blind Bartimaeus begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, which is a messianic term, Yeshua, Savior, have mercy on me. And then the crowds tell him, be quiet. The rabbi, the teacher, has no time for you, but he would not be deterred. He must have an audience with Jesus. So he cries out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops the crowd and says, bring him. And he asks him, what do you want? He says, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Received your sight. You put your faith in me. You trusted me. And what's so amazing about that one story is that even though Bartimaeus was blind, he was the one who could actually see who Jesus truly is. So now imagine, there's crowds already, but now these crowds are in a praise frenzy, like, wow, look what great things God has done. The disciples, of course, probably you know, pick up their heads a little bit, puff up their chest, because this is my rabbi, this is our rabbi. And they start entering into the, t- into the town of Jericho, and there's a crowd there, and we are introduced to this man by the name of Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector and rich. The only tax collector who is a chief mentioned in the Bible. And just like in our day, rich would entail that he had many land, he had vineyards, he had many servants, fine clothing, and expensive adornment. Now, the thing about Jericho was is that it was an imperial territory under the Roman government, and it was actually a very important travel hub. So many traders would go through there. And what tax collectors would do is they would set up a booth, and they would collect taxes from the people who would go through to do business, as well as collect taxes from the people who were in that residence area. 
Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. That means he's not in the booth. He's getting money from the tax collectors that are in the booth. And it seems quite evident that he becoming rich by taxing his own people and others as well. Now, tax collectors, just to give you more of a historical background, they were labeled as Jewish traitors. They were declared as unclean because they interacted with the Gentile Romans. They were seen as unclean. If they were to enter into a Jewish court, their testimony was actually rejected. And some religious teachers taught that tax collectors were unredeemable. God cannot redeem these people. So think about it. Zacchaeus then is chiefly despised because he's a chief tax collector. On this day, however, we see that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. However, because of his small stature, or the politically correct term would be little person, he could not see over the crowd. And so this is what I imagine. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, and he's trying to make his way through, but the crowd is not letting him through. Now, I know it doesn't say it, but I can imagine. Hey, Zacchaeus, I may have to pay taxes, but I don't have to move out of the way. And I can imagine them just kind of boxing him out. No, no. And not only that, Jesus, he's a Jewish teacher. He is a Jewish rabbi. He has come as a prophet of God. He's going to become the king of Israel, and he's going to judge people like you. So he's not for you, Zacchaeus. He's for people like us. And so I can imagine Zacchaeus unable to enter in. And I wonder if you and I, if we were in that situation with those Jews, and we knew that there was a person who was taxing us and getting rich off of us, excessively, we probably might have done the same thing. Boxed them out. But just like blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus would not be deterred. So what does he do? He pulls up his tunic or his toga, he pulls it up, and he begins to run. Now you guys know back in those days, Jewish older men, they don't run. That's what kids do. Because if you're going to run, you have to actually hike up your tunic, and you don't show off your legs. But that's what he was willing to do. He runs ahead, and he climbs up a sycamore tree. Here, I have, a, I have a picture of a sycamore tree. This is actually the one in Jericho that they believed that Zacchaeus climbed. So you see it here. And as you can see, the, the, at least the tree trunk is at least six feet tall or taller. So imagine this person, Zacchaeus, who's maybe 40, 50 years old, and he's short, maybe four, six, four, whatever, trying to climb this. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw a 50-year-old man dressed in fine purple linen with rings and jewelry climbing up a tree? <laughs> Probably haven't. Zacchaeus is willing to risk his safety, willing to risk humiliation. He's willing to risk his comfort zone to seek Jesus. He really wants to seek Jesus. What would it look like if we, Mosaic, if we would come and seeking, seeking Jesus like Zacchaeus does? with that kind of commitment. You see, we haven't heard a single word from Zacchaeus yet, but his actions speak very loudly. He really wants to see Jesus. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, what do you seek for? What do you spend your energy, your time to seek for? And those things that you seek for with so much of your energy, so much of your time, what does it tell you about what's in your heart? Now, Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I think, Jer I think Z uh, Zac Zacchaeus was seeking God, Jesus, with all his heart. 
Now, I know it doesn't say here, but why do you think Zacchaeus is running and climbing a tree to seek Jesus? Why do you think he's doing that? It, it just seems like he's so desperate, so passionate about this. Why? I think it's safe to assume that even though he has wealth, he has political positional power, he has this ability to isolate himself, self-isolate from others with all his creature comforts. Zacchaeus, like that U2 song says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He still hasn't found it. Everything that this world says will satisfy you, he has it, but it has failed him miserably. He doesn't have that peace. He doesn't have that contentment. He is not satisfied. And so he goes. Now, this is what I think happened. Most likely, he's heard about Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard about this teacher who's teaching God's word with authority, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, and he even eats with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors? No rabbi talks to me. No rabbi wants to eat with me. They all think I'm unredeemable. But Jesus eats with them? And of course, he also hears probably, I heard that this guy named Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he used to be a tax collector. Could this Jesus be real? Could he really be this kind of person? So he climbs because he no longer wants to hear stories from others. He wants to see Jesus for himself. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, don't just hear about Jesus from others. Seek Jesus personally. Seek him personally. Find your sycamore tree. Find it, in, it could be in the morning, like, oh, I'm so tired, but I got to seek Jesus. Get up, open up the word, pray, say, Lord, may I meet you. In the middle of the busy day, go into a coffee room or somewhere, the bathroom, and say, Jesus, I got to meet you. Before you go to sleep, Jesus, I got to meet you. Because God promises that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And here's the thing you'll discover. That when you finally feel like, oh, I found you, you'll discover that he has already been seeking after you. He's already been seeking after you. Look with me to verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, I'm thinking Zacchaeus is relatively high up. And I'm thinking he's probably trying to cover himself with leaves because who wants to be an older man in a tree you know, for people to see? So I'm thinking he's probably there. And he's up there because he wants to see Jesus. Now, I, what I encourage you to do when you read scripture is try to picture yourself in the story. So here's Zacchaeus. He's up in the tree. And all of a sudden, the crowds get closer and closer. And he's like, oh, is that Jesus? Is that? Oh, is that him? Oh, he's, he's not He's not that good looking. He's not that tall. He's, in fact, the scripture says nothing about him was all that outstanding. But the crowds are around him. And all of a sudden, as Jesus gets closer and closer, he stops right under where Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is, and he looks up. So he must be relatively high to look up. That's my assumption. And then he says two amazing things. The first amazing thing he says is this. Zacchaeus. Now, I think a lot of times when we read the story, we just glance over that. He said the name Zacchaeus. How does he know my name? How does he know my name? 
If I was the case and I'm in that tree and I know my shame, I know my guilt, I know my struggles, and all of a sudden Jesus is walking by, I'm thinking he doesn't see me. He stops, looks at me with like laser vision right into my eyes and goes, Doug, I would have been like, how does he know my name? Oh, well, I'm a chief tax collector. I'm sure people in this town are talking smack about me. No. I mean, that could be. But scripture tells us again and again, you hear in Isaiah 43.1, God says this, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. I have called you by name. You are mine. There's one song that I love to sing by Tommy Walker. It goes like this. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. This is the God that we serve. Scripture tells us in Luke 12 that he even knows the very number of hairs on our head. This is the God who has come to seek after you, Zacchaeus. That's how he knows your name. Now, if you think about it, this scene actually harkens back to Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve partake of the forbidden fruit, what do they do? They hide in the bushes. And God enters and says to Adam and Eve, where are you? He calls out to them by name because they're the ones who are hiding. And every time God calls us, it's not to condemn us, it's not to destroy us, but it's actually to bring us back into deeper relationship with him. That's repentance. And on this side of eternity, when God calls out to you, it's not to condemn you, it's not to destroy you. Look in John 3, 17. But it's so that you might know that there is a God who loves you and wants you in relationship with him. Deeper love, intimacy, and holiness. This is what happens. Now, picture yourself in this story. Jesus stops, looks up, Zacchaeus. And the people, they don't know that he's up there, or maybe they do, and they all of a sudden they look up. <laughs> oh, you fool. Zacchaeus, look at Zacchaeus. What a loser. And then Jesus says the second amazing thing. He says, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. The crowd's giggles begin to just die down. Mm-hmm. And then Zacchaeus, as he looks upon the face of Christ, if he had any fear, if he had any guilt, any condemnation, it instantly turns into joy. It says he comes down immediately and welcomes him with rejoicing. He's so glad. Thank you. Now, is this what you would expect Jesus to say to a traitor, to an extortionist, to a cheater? Would you expect someone who's so righteous and holy to say this to someone like this? Wouldn't it be, make more sense? Like, Zacchaeus, come down, you sinner. You are going to hell. You see, some of us, we have enemies, people that we don't like, and we're like, that's what we want Jesus to say to them. Wouldn't it make more sense as a religious leader that Jesus looks up and goes, Zacchaeus, you're so pathetic. Repent for the time of judgment has come. No wonder people don't like you. That's what we think he would say. In fact, that's probably what the crowd expected Jesus to say. But instead he says this, I must stay at your house. Now I know when I've read this many times before, like that must stay at your house, it just glanced over. I just glanced over it. But I thought about it more and more, like, I must stay at your house. Like, Jesus, I understand if you say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you must have me at your house. That makes sense. But why 
must, I must stay at your house. So I'm just kind of thinking about this, and I think it's really important. Like, does Jesus need an Airbnb to stay at? Is that what it is? Like, I need a place to stay. No, in fact, he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have, have nests to lay their head. The Son of Man has no way to lay his head, right? He could tell his disciples, yo, guys, build a, a shelter for me to sleep in. So it's not because he needs a house to stay in from Zacchaeus. In fact, it doesn't even make sense in the social terminology. Imagine your boss calls you one day, and you're like, hello, and he's like, hey, man, I must stay at your house. You'd be like, huh? No, you must not. What do you mean? If you're having a problem with your wife, maybe you go see a counselor, but what do you mean you must stay at my house? Even if your friend called you, I must stay at your house. You're like, what? You know you mustn't. So it doesn't even make sense, because it's not like Jesus is in trouble that somehow that case is going to rescue him from. It doesn't even make sense in the religious, cultural uh, model of the Jewish, ancient Jewish you know, times. Because you don't have a rabbi going and staying with a sinner. So this doesn't make any sense. Why does Jesus say, I must stay at your house? And as I started thinking about this, I think this is a way it makes sense. Perhaps you've experienced this. I, I've seen it before. Where you may be like in a mall and the people are just walking, you know, doing their shopping, and all of a sudden you see like a woman going up to people and like talking to them frantic, and they're like, mm-hmm. and you're just like, what's going on? And she gets closer, and people are like, no, no, get closer, closer. And all of a sudden, as she gets close to you, you hear her saying, Have you seen my son? He's lost. I must find him. That's where it makes sense. That's why she's doing what she's doing. That's why she's frantic. That's why she's saying, I must. Because her love for her son who was lost, it drives her to must to find him. And what Jesus is showing us here and saying to us here is that the Heavenly Father so loved this world full of broken, lost people that he gave and he sent his only begotten son. Here we see the display of the heart of God, the Savior of Jesus Christ who comes to seek and save after the lost, after us. But Zacchaeus receives him with rejoicing, but the crowds are grumbling. In their cultural mindset, their religious mindset, they say, wait, if you stay at someone's house, that means you trust them. Because you trust them that while you're sleeping, they won't do you any harm. That means you accept them. Because of whatever blessing or curse is upon them, you receive it. That means you actually embrace them as a friend. Because you don't, not only do you not eat with sinners, but you don't stay at their house. And so Jesus, you're actually embracing Zacchaeus like a friend? Jesus, you can't do that. You're a good rabbi. You cannot be a friend of a chief sinner. You know what the problem is? is that the crowds, they knew religion, but they didn't know God. They knew sacraments and all these traditions and all these religious ceremonies, but they didn't know the Holy One of Israel. Because if they really knew God, if they knew the heart and the, the character and the compassion of the Father, then when they see Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus, they would have said, this is God and this is God's kingdom, Come. He has come to redeem and to restore sinners, the lost and the broken. If they really knew and understood who Jesus was, they would be rejoicing, celebrating even more than blind Bartimaeus receiving sight. Because as wonderful as that miracle is, it doesn't compare to the miracle of a transformed heart. Of a transformed heart. The saving of a lost one. 
Now look what happens. The crowds are grumbling, but what happens next is simply an overflow, a response of Zacchaeus being accepted, of Zacchaeus being embraced. It's the evidence that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The crowds are grumbling in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said, to the Lord, not to the crowds. He says to the Lord, Lord, look here, and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay four times the amount. Wow. I'm sure that the people who had been cheated are going, four times again? That's better than the stock market. Oh my gosh. People who are poor like, we're going to be provided for? We're not going to go hungry tonight? What happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to this guy? I think those of us who have been in Zacchaeus' shoes, that we can relate to why he did this. I think if we've been in his shoes, especially if you know what it means to be the smallest, if you know what it means to be the last one picked, the one left out, the one who was hated, even though it's a consequence of your own actions, but you're trying to make it right, but they still will not accept you. If you know what that feels like, you can identify with Zacchaeus. How many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know, one of the things that I hated when I was in elementary was gym class. I hated it because I wasn't athletic. And inevitably, what the, what the gym teacher would always do is pick the two most athletic people, and then they would become the team captains. You know what I mean? And, and one of the things I particularly hated was basketball because I'm uncoordinated. I could only dribble with my right, not with my left. And so then the team's captains would do the rock, paper, scissor, and they would begin to pick out the teams. And inevitably, there would always be that one person who was never really picked. Okay, just come on. You, you have to kind of know what that feels like. But on this special day, all of a sudden, the, the coach says, hey, guys, we have a special guest captain. And all of a sudden, in walks, ah, Michael Jordan. Ah. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan's the captain, and then Pickle was student. They play rock, paper, scissor. Michael Jordan wins, and he looks at all the students, and he goes to the one that's never picked and goes, I must have you on my team. And everybody else is like, him? He sucks. He's terrible. You're going to lose. Uh, I can imagine Michael Jordan saying, you think I need him to beat you guys? <laughs> I must have him on my team. You have to know what that kind of feels like. You have to kind of know what it feels like to, to be that one girl who's always by herself. Like, yeah, she says weird things, and she, maybe she dresses awkwardly, but she tries, but nobody wants her, and she's in the corner somewhere, and it's a high school dance, and she's there, she wants to belong, but nobody will let her belong. And she's there in the corner, and all the popular girls or the, or the normal girls and the you know, normal popular guys are here. And all of a sudden, on this school night, this dance night, the music stops and in walks all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, is that Zach Efron? Ah, Zach Efron. I don't know who it was for your time. Just imagine whoever it was. And he walks past all the other popular pretty girls. Oh, Zach, Zach. Hey, hey, hey. And he walks right up to that one girl who's never, never included. And he says to her, I must dance with you. And she's like, yes, you know I want you. It's not a secret. I <laughs> what do you think is going to be the response of that boy or that girl if it's MJ or Zac Efron or whoever? What do you think they're... They're going to play their heart out. They're going to dance their heart out. They're going to be filled with such rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, that's just a man. 
Here is the creator of the universe, the author of life that has come to seek you. Why does Zacchaeus give away half his wealth? Why does he pay back four times? Now, I know it doesn't say it, but this is what I'm thinking. What is Zacchaeus really? What is he? Oh, you say he's chief tax collector, he's a Jew. But what is he really? The word of God tells us, and what are you really? You know what the word of God tells us? That we're just vapor. From dust we come, to dust we return. That's all we are, right? We're going to be here maybe 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, maybe 120 years. Everything in this room, what's it going to become? It's just dust. But the creator of the universe who is without time, without boundaries, unlimited, he came and he gave his life on the cross for dust. Would you give your life for sawdust? Would you give your life for dirt? But that's what the author of life did. Zacchaeus, knowing that he's hated, knowing that he's a sinner, knowing that he's wretched, not welcomed, unredeemable, all of a sudden the the Messiah has come and said to him, I embrace you, I welcome you, I want to stay at your house. Zacchaeus says, you know what? My money, this is dust. (laughs) I'll give it gladly. And not only that, I'll pay back four times. Why four times? Because in Exodus it tells us that if you steal someone's sheep, you have to pay back four times. So what's happened to Zacchaeus is he is literally being transformed in that very moment from a person that's been greedy, power-hungry, you know, material-possessing to now walking into what? Generosity. I give it away gladly. And not only generosity, but into repentance and holiness, obedience. I did wrong, I'll pay back four times. I want you to notice that Jesus never said to him to do it. He's like, hey, the people are grumbling. So if you want to appease them, this is what you should do. This is flowing out of Zacchaeus' heart. I have found my greatest affection. I have found what I'm looking for. And I don't need this. You know, I think a lot of times we as Christians, well, you know, if some of us who just go to church or some of us who know people who used to go to church, they'll say things like this. Oh, I tried Christianity, but it's not for me. You know, I think that the truth is this, that many have found Christianity not to be fulfilling, not because it's not fulfilling, but because they have tried it, it's too difficult, and left untried. But here we see when Zacchaeus, he goes, I, I'm, all in, I'm all in with you, Jesus. I receive you with gladness. It just begins to fill him, and he has finally found what he's looking for. His whole values and priorities have flipped Towards the kingdom of God. He is walking in sanctification and holiness. Brothers and sisters, I am convinced that everybody around Zacchaeus now goes, oh my gosh, this person is a new person. Who is this guy? Oftentimes, when people of the world look at the church, what they'll see is these guys are a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of criticizers, always condemning, holier than thou. And understandably, we have to hold truth to, true to God's words. But I wonder if our greatest struggle, and I've shared this before, our greatest struggle is not about telling people of their sins, but our greatest struggle is showing how good God is that would make people wonder. How great God is that will cause people to have a holy envy. Who is this Jesus that you, you serve that gives you such peace in the midst of trials? Who gives you such you know, prosperity in the midst of despair? Who is this? In the midst of sickness, you still have so much joy. Who is this? That's our greatest struggle. 
Could you ever imagine that the solution to greed, to cheating, to extortion would be grace? Could you ever imagine the solution to loneliness and being a social outcast would be belonging? Oftentimes, people, they need a sense of belonging before they can begin to believe. And Jesus says, yo, just be with me. And what was Zacchaeus' response? I receive you joyfully. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Why? Because Jesus is salvation. You've received me. And now you are what? A son of Abraham. He didn't say son of Israel because he is a son of Israel. He is a Jew by birth. But now he's a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Abraham was the father of faith. He believed God, not his physical stuff, not his possessions. He believed God in the same way Zacchaeus says, God, Jesus, you are my satisfaction. You are my everything. Jesus says, you are a son of Abraham. He tells the rest of the community, welcome him in. Don't turn him away anymore. And really, that kind of heart just continues on from that point on, and it should continue on in us. When we understand that Jesus seeks after us, then what should our response be to our coworkers, to our family, to others that cases around us? We should be seeking after them. That they might know the goodness and the compassion of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray together.